Well, we're going to go way back, like way, way back. Did anyone have a way, way back, like in your old station wagon growing up? Like you had the way back, but then you had the way, way back? Yeah. Well, we're going way, way back into the 8th century B.C. There's a prophet named Isaiah. You ever heard of Isaiah? Sound familiar to you? Isaiah, because of the way that God spoke to him, because of the way that God spoke through him, in the Old Testament, we actually have a book called Isaiah. And it is a really, really big book. But this book, it's pretty cool. It's fulfilled, it is actually filled with prophecy after prophecy regarding a coming Messiah, right? A coming Messiah, he would come, he'd save God's people, he'd deliver God's people. And there's a good chance, regardless of your experience with the book, regardless of whether you're an expert or not with the book, in some way or, or, or the other, you've heard some of the phrases that are spoken in Isaiah. In fact, there's a chapter, a chapter 53, probably the most popular chapter in Isaiah. As I read it, maybe you, you've uh, heard some of the things uh, written here. Isaiah 53, it talks about this Messiah, this coming Messiah. And it says, this Messiah, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their Faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Uh, you guys recognize some of that? Familiar with that? When as Christians, we read that and we know that these words describe, who do those words describe? Jesus, right? Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus who is the Messiah. Jesus who is the Christ. It's amazing as you read Isaiah how many references point directly to Jesus. But we have to remember Isaiah was written long before Jesus was walking on this earth with his disciples. I mean, we're talking like 700 years before Jesus was born in that manger in Bethlehem. And this time, God's people, they're waiting for this deliverer. They're waiting for this spotless one who would save people from their sins, who would bear all their iniquities. And they've been waiting a long, long time, hundreds upon hundreds of years. Now in Jesus' time, the Jewish people, who again had been waiting for hundreds of years for this promised Messiah, they would meet in what is called a synagogue. Maybe you've heard that word before, a synagogue. A synagogue it was a normal and very important part of Jewish life during Jesus' time. There was probably a synagogue in every town. As you read the Gospels, much of uh, Jesus' ministry took place in the synagogues. In fact, Scripture says that Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues. Synagogues were a place of worship. They were a place of intense study and intense prayer. On the morning of the Sabbath, so after the Sabbath meal, which would take the night before, which would take place the night before, that next morning, the community would gather in the synagogue. And several things would take place during their meetings, including they would read from the Torah. The Torah would be the five, uh, first five books of the Bible. These are the words of Moses. So they would read from the words of Moses. But then they would also read a section from the prophets, maybe even Isaiah. And on Sabbath morning or Saturday mornings, Jesus would be there. Did you know that Jesus would have been there? Jesus spent a lot of time in the synagogues. He grew up with the synagogue. Being in a synagogue, it was a normal part of his life. But then the Bible records on, very, on one very special Sabbath day, 
something amazing, supernatural happens. Listen to this. It's a day unlike anything that had happened before or after. This is found in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Jesus went to Nazareth. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll in the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then listen to this church. Verse 20. Then he rolled up the scroll. He gave it to the attendant. And he sat down. It says the eyes of everyone in the synagogue, they were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's this amazing moment where Jesus comes. He's handed the scroll. He reads the words of Isaiah. Powerful words regarding this promised Messiah. And then he finishes, rolls up the scroll, hands it to the attendant, and sits down. And again, at this point, everyone's eyes are fixated on him. And with everyone's gaze directed at him, he says clearly, he says simply, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Amen. Jesus says, I'm the guy. <laughs> right? Ta-da. It's me. Right? Hundreds upon hundreds of years of prophecies. I'm the guy. I'm the Messiah. I'm the anointed one. I'm the promised one. It's an amazingly powerful and intense moment in history. Now, the portion of Scripture that Jesus reads is found in Isaiah chapter 61. Chapter 61, if you continue to read chapter 61, it goes on to lay out these remarkable statements about the coming Messiah. Isaiah 61 says that He will come to comfort all who mourn. He will provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, for the display of His splendor. By Jesus quoting from, Messiah, or from Isaiah, and by Jesus' willingness to say that in Him and through Him all these things will be fulfilled, church, you just need to hear this this morning. This is a game changer. Everything will change. Everything must change. Things can no longer stay the same. In fact, if you continue to read Luke 4, uh, the people, they end up kicking Jesus out of the synagogue, right? If they don't just kick him out of the synagogue, they kick him out of town. They don't just kick him out of town. They try to kick him off a cliff. You remember that? They try to throw him off the cliff. But for those of us who have accepted that Jesus is the Messiah, instead of rejecting Him, who have accepted Him instead of throwing Him out, see, we've invited Him in. We have welcomed Him into our lives. And for us, we know at the deepest level of who we are that what Isaiah wrote and what Jesus declared in that synagogue is exactly what has happened to us. What has exactly happened to me and is what is happening, continuing to happen to all of us. 
right? In Jesus, because of Jesus, because of this Messiah, good news is being proclaimed. Good news is happening. We can see good news being proclaimed to the poor. Prisoners, they're being set free. Blind are regaining their sight. Those who mourn are comforted. Those who feel like their life is just a heap of ashes, well, guess what? They do not have to stay the same. They are experiencing a newfound beauty. Those who have been paralyzed with mourning now are filled with unspeakable, inexpressible joy. And where people were once clothed with a spirit of despair, even clothed with a spirit of heaviness in Jesus, they are now clothed with a garment of praise. Hallelujah. See, as Christians, this is who we are. This is who we are in Christ. We're the ones who have experienced this in our own lives. By the way, if you're a Christian, that's who you are. I mean, literally, you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You have experienced His freedom. That's what it means to be a Christian, by the way, is you have been set free. You were in captivity, but you have been set free. If you say, yeah, I'm a Christian, you're, you're free. You're free in, in Christ Jesus. There's this great exchange, and that's what we've called this series over the next four weeks, this great exchange. And we've called it the great exchange because each one of us as Christians, we get it. We get it. You don't have to explain that to me. You don't have to preach that to me. I get it. Something radical happened in my life. When I found Jesus, in epic, or more importantly, he found me, in epic proportions, a change, an exchange, whatever you want to call it, something happened. Like beyond what I I could describe or write down in a song or write in a poem something too marvelous for words has happened for my good and for his glory hallelujah I mean what could compare to being a Christian right I mean what could even come close to stacking up against the fact that I am his and he is mine I mean do you remember what it was like before Christ do you remember what it was like before Jesus? Right? Dead in our sins. Dead in our sins. And yet now in Jesus, alive in Christ. The old way. Remember the old way? The old way, which when we were living in the old way, it just was death and destruction and despair. The old way where anything in the old way we tried to build up would just crumble away, crumble down, be torn apart. But yet now in Jesus, the new has come. The new has come. In fact, in Christ, I'm a new creation. In fact, Jesus himself says, I have been, what? Born again. We have this new creation where the Spirit of God, it says the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now residing within me. I have this regenerating power of God in me. I've been changed. Anyone else been changed here? Anybody else? I'm just radically changed, right? Again, you don't even have to go into a debate. You just know that you know that you know. So whatever we were, we no longer have to be. Whatever used to define us, and boy, have there been things in this world that have tried to define us, but whatever that was, we know we no longer have to be defined by those things anymore. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Christ. And as Isaiah prophesied again, he was despised. He was rejected by mankind. He took up our pain. He bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was struck for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. He did it, church. He did it. 
Anyone else just filled with joy this morning? Anyone else just like on fire today? Just wanting to shout it from the rooftops? I know I got that just moving through my bones today. He did it, church. Satan loses. Jesus wins. The great exchange. I invite you to tell your friends about it. Tell your family about it. That they might hear about this great exchange where we deserve to die in our sins. We just did. We've done some doozies, right? But yet, Jesus took our place. We heard this in our 815 prayer uh, meeting this morning, that God willingly sent His Son to die for us. That Jesus willingly went to the cross to die for us. And by His death and resurrection, He and only He has made a way for every sinful man, every sinful woman to find forgiveness, to find life by putting their faith in Him. And we have this confidence. Haven't you noticed that there's a confidence with being a Christian? A confidence, even an assurance, that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved by His name, by His powerful name, by His amazing ultimate sacrifice. And we have the privilege, every person sitting in this uh, place today, we have the privilege of partaking in this beautiful and great exchange, all because we once were destined for death, but in Christ we now have eternal life. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about that over the next four weeks, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. We're going to stay laser focused on Jesus, keeping our eyes fixated on Him. We're going to look at what He has done for us. But also, we're going to look at what He continues to do for us every day. I believe for those of us who go on this month-long journey together, by the end, we're going to have this greater appreciation for what Jesus has done for us. But I also believe we're going to have a greater expectation of what this daily Christian life should look like on this side of the beautiful, great exchange. Church, something has happened. Exchange has happened. As Paul talks about in Romans chapter 6, in Jesus, because of Jesus, we now have this privilege and honor and opportunity to walk in the newness of life. The newness of life. For some of you, maybe you don't know Jesus in this way. I just want you to know I'm thankful that you're here. This is an opportunity for you to hear the good news of the gospel. You get to hear that the Father, our Father who art in heaven, He really loves you. He's a good, good Father. And that He sent His Son who loves you. And He wants to come into your life. He wants to forgive you of all your sins. He wants to make you new. He wants to be with you. And He wants to give you eternal life with Him. For others of you, maybe you've been Christians for a while. If you've been a Christian for a while, sometimes we get what I call spiritual amnesia. Right? You don't have to raise your hands if you've ever suffered with spiritual amnesia. It happens to all of us. We just kind of forget who we are. We forget whose we are. Right? Well, if that's you, over the next month, it's going to be a spiritual booster shot, so to speak, reminding you of what you really have in Christ Jesus. And just like normal shots don't always feel that good, uh, it is for our ultimate benefit. So, amen for that, the discipline of the Lord. Uh, I just want to encourage you, uh, sometimes as Christians... Oh, man, I, I don't know if you've fallen in this trap before, but you can go days, you can go weeks, you can go even months forgetting about Jesus. I mean, it just happens to everybody in this world, especially in America with our culture and what we're living in. You, you can just kind of try to do this thing without Jesus. And yet, I believe that the Holy Spirit, praise the Lord for the Holy Spirit who's here and also here. Isn't He good at what He does? 
Because he reminds us of who we are. He reminds us of whose we are. He reminds us of what we have in Jesus. And so where maybe, you know, you kind of get in the mode of where you just kind of accept Jesus, put him in your back pocket, tack him on and just remain the same. And you try to live that lifestyle for a while. The Holy Spirit instead, he reminds you, he says, no, 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 no. I want to remind you of what the Messiah has done for you. The promised one has done for you. And I believe as you remember what he has done for you, it will encourage you. It will fill you with an expectation for what God wants to do in you and through you for the rest of your life. I believe that. God wants to change your life. You no longer have to struggle or suffer in spiritual amnesia. You can remember who you are in Jesus Christ and you will never, ever be the same. Now today I get to cover one of my favorite passages, one of the favorite things that Messiah speaks out of his mouth, and it's this, that he has come to bring freedom for the prisoners. Freedom for the prisoners, to set the captives free, that we were in captivity, and by his death on the cross and his glorious resurrection, we have been set free. And I love this about Jesus. I mean, don't you just love Jesus? Right? Jesus is so good. You know what he's really good at? Setting people free. Do you know it says, Paul says, he goes, it is for freedom that Christ set you free. So why did he set you free? Because he actually wants you to be free. He set you free because he thought, you know what, I want my son, I want my daughter to taste freedom. I want them to experience the exhilaration, the joy of being free. And Jesus himself says this amazingly bold statement. He says, you know what? If the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. If the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. So it's not some phony freedom. It's not some fake freedom. If Jesus sets you free, it's the real deal, grade A freedom. It's the real thing. You're actually free. Well, free from what? Right? Prideful man, prideful woman say, well, I don't need to be set free from anything. I'm not a slave to anybody. And yet, Scripture is so very clear. Every man, every woman who has ever walked this earth because of the sin that entered when Adam and Eve ate that forbidden fruit, every person is in desperate need of liberation from sin. Every person in desperate need of a Savior for someone to come and to set them free. We all need someone to set us free from our sins. The Bible says that sin is the great sin or slave master. Sin is the great slave master. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave of sin. There's a scene in the Bible where two of Jesus' disciples, Peter and John, they encounter Simon the sorcerer. And they realize that there's just something not right about Simon. His heart is not in a good place. And so they call on Simon to repent of his wickedness. Peter speaks boldly to Simon. He says, I can see, Simon, that you are full of bitter jealousy and you are held captive by sin captive by sin. And again, sin would be anything that would fall short or miss the mark of the glory of God, the perfection of God, anything less than the very truth and holiness of God is sin. And so when people are not walking in the truth, when you're not walking in the truth, you're walking in sin. And when you're walking in sin, don't you know it gives the devil so many opportunities to have his way in your life, right? Opportunities for him to have a stronghold, a foothold 
in your life. It reminds me of Paul when he writes 2 Timothy. The, Timothy, he, he, he has to warn about these individuals that are not walking in the truth. And, and these people, he says, they like to start fights. They like to quarrel. And Paul has to encourage Timothy. He says, Timothy, you've got to be patient with these difficult people. Paul describes them as difficult people. That's awesome, right? You ever met a difficult person before? Difficult people. But then he says something amazing. He says, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. These difficult people. Gently instruct them. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. For they have been, get this, they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. These people who are living such destructive and divisive lives, they're being held captive by the devil. They are stuck in his trap. I was thinking about it this week. It's just amazing how many and how often this happens, that people who are trapped in the greatest of sins, who are walking furthest from the truth, you will hear from them about the freedom that they have the most, right? They will boast of their freedom, right? I'm free. I have the freedom to drink as much as I want, whenever I want, how often I want. You know, I have the freedom to, to be able to spend my money. Like, no one's going to tell me how to spend my money. I'm free to use as much as I want, how I want. I'm free to have sex with whoever I want. Like, I'm just free. I'm free to say whatever I want to say. I can do whatever I want to do without limits, without boundaries, without God, without his leading without his direction I mean I'm free and yet the freedom that the spirit of this world is preaching and by the way there is a freedom that the spirit of the world is preaching whether you're, you, you think it is or not it is preaching well but the spirit of the world and what it is speaking and what it offers as good as it looks is no freedom at all See, instead of what the spirit of the world encourages, this is, <laughs> spirit of the world, you want to know what it's preaching and what it is encouraging in each one of us? And I, I've been there a thousand times, right? It encourages me, what I would say, in an immature expression of an untamed sinful nature. Right? An immature expression of an untamed sinful nature. But church, that's not freedom. Every step forward into that kind of life, it's a pseudo-freedom where it's one step forward into slavery. It's one step forward into captivity. In fact, it's just one more opportunity. One more opportunity and privilege for you to take up another strand of chains and tack them back onto your life. And outside of Christ, we've all been there. Right? Come on. You've been there. I've been there. We've made those justifications, right? We've made those arguments. We've had that debate for why it's okay to live the way I'm living, right? And when you're in the middle of living that way, sometimes, I, I, I found this a lot, a lot of times you don't even fully understand how much you're really weighed down by your sin when you're, when you're in the pool, right? I find a lot of people who become Christians, it isn't until after the fact, after the Lord saves them and delivers them, and it's almost like you have new eyes to see, right? And then you truly begin to realize and comprehend how trapped you really were in your sins. Maybe, maybe you've had that experience before where the Lord saves you, He gives this, He gives you this new life, and it's amazing and awesome and good, but then you start walking with the Lord, and you look back, and you're like, wow, I have made a mess of things. My life full of destruction and rubble. 
And when the Lord begins to speak to you in that way, don't you know that sometimes, I don't know about you, this happened to me, you, you even want to go back, right? You, you need to apologize to some people that you've wronged. You need to uh, ask for forgiveness. You even, if possible, try to make things right. Now where does that come from? Well, that mindset, that attitude all flows from a place of true freedom. Right? A freedom that only Jesus Christ can bring. And it's not a pseudo-freedom. It's not a fake freedom. It's the real deal. Because the freedom that Christ gives us, <laughs> I just, again, I love Jesus. Because the freedom that Christ gives us, it changes everything. The freedom that He gives us, it changes our outlook on life. It gives us a new love for others. It gives us a new passion to walk in purity and holiness and goodness. In our freedom in Christ, our minds are renewed. Our hearts are transformed. Transformed, we find ourselves more and more and more attracted to the light instead of to the darkness. And as the Apostle Paul wrote, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, and whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things as a new creation. We're like, I'm with you, Paul. I'm walking with you, Paul. I'm in step with you, Paul. Absolutely. My passion as a Christian is to follow Christ, to think on the goodness of God. And my good, good Father, our minds are no longer trapped in darkness. Our hearts are no longer trapped in darkness. We've been set free and so we dwell on things that are true, honorable, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Why? Because in Jesus Christ I've been set free. Hallelujah! I tell the world I've been set free in Jesus Christ. What could compare to that? Right? What could compare the freedom that's found in Jesus Christ. This morning, if there's anyone here who's never given their life over to Jesus, you've never put your faith in Him, you've never believed that He is the Son of God, I want you to know that you can do that right now. You can do that today. Jesus paid a great penalty for your sins. He wants to forgive you of all your sins. But maybe you're thinking, well, yeah, that, that's great, but you don't know me. I, I've done terrible things. Well, we have all done terrible things. If we want to compare the terrible things that you've done compared to the terrible things I've done, I'll, you might lose. I'm just saying. <laughs> the Bible says we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But see, Jesus is so good. He's not defining you by your past. See, when Jesus, and when you say yes to him, something miraculous happens. The Bible says that you're made new. The Bible says that you're born again into his family. The Bible says you're adopted as his son or adopted as his daughter. When you put your faith in him, he delivers you. He, meaning he saves you. Where you once were a slave to sin, you were captive to sin, trapped with no hope by the way of escaping. There's nothing you could do to escape the penalty of death. But by his death on the cross, he can set you free. Church, he will set you free. Today, out of his great love for you, he wants you to experience the freedom that only he can give. He wants you to have life in him, a free, abundant, joy-filled life in him. All you have to do is just turn. Turn to him. Turn, put your faith, put your hope, put your trust in Jesus today. If that's you today, man, come on. I'm so excited for you. And I want to pray for you. I want to pray with you. 
In fact, church, if we could just all pray together. Some people might be praying this prayer for the first time, but let's support them and pray this together. So if you bow your heads, we're, we're just going to pray to Jesus to ask Him to come into our lives. So, dear Jesus, I invite you into my life. Lord, I need you to rescue me, to save me, to deliver me from my sins. Lord, I believe that when I put my faith in you, I become new. The old is gone. The new has come. I'm a new creation, born again into your family. Jesus, take my life and use it for your glory. I love you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. 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 That's so good. If you prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you. I have a starter kit in the back with a Bible in it, a letter from me, some other resources. I'd encourage you to pick one up before you leave. Also, maybe just contact me. Uh, grab a hold of me. I'd love to go to Starbucks with you or something. And we can talk about what being a Christian is all about and what it looks like to uh, live this Christian life. Um, so anyways, yeah, please get a hold of me. For the rest of you, I, I want to close with this. In Christ, we're free. And yet, don't you know that our freedom seems to be constantly under attack? The devil is on attack, by the way. So many verses that warn Christians to be aware of this reality. Ephesians 6.11, put on the full armor of God, son and daughter, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. James 4.7, submit yourselves therefore to God, family of God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The devil, he's always trying to enslave us, right? He's always trying to take us back from living freely in the light. He's always trying to invite us back to live in the darkness. So the devil's on attack. Sometimes it's our own sinful nature, right, that's on attack. Sinful nature gets us into trouble. You ever, uh, you don't have to raise your hands on that one, but you ever have that rise up within you, right? Galatians 5.13, it's one of my favorite verses. I had to memorize this one early on because I needed it. I needed to hear the truth of it and receive it into my life. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy or indulge your sinful nature. No, instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Peter says something similar. He says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but no, use your freedom as living as servants of God. Anyone who's been walking with the Lord for a while knows that the desires of the flesh, they can rear their ugly head from time to time. And they try to take their best shots at us, right? Take their best shots at our freedom in Christ. You ever feel like you kind of got hit, right? With a blow, with an uppercut. They just take their best shots at you. That's why it's so important to remember Galatians 5.24. It reminds us that those of us who belong to Jesus Christ, we have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So we got the devil. We got sinful nature on top of the devil and the sinful nature. Don't you know there's just the things of life? Right? Have you lived before? I think most of you are living today. So you are actually walking in this world that we call life, the American life, and the things that hit up against us. Demanding jobs, horrible bosses, stressful school assignments. In fact, I bet you some of you are stressing right now. You know there's something you got to get done tonight before school tomorrow morning. Stressful. Maybe it's rotten sushi. Maybe it's pushy boyfriends. Maybe it's wedding planning, right? Maybe it's funeral planning. 
Maybe it's mortgage payments, credit card payments, car payments. Maybe it's school loans. Maybe it's potholes. You ever allow a pothole to get you down? I called the pothole hotline this week. I'm, I will let you know that. I did. It's a dangerous pothole. Traffic. You ever let that one get to you? Politics. Right? I mean, the list goes on and on of the things that can begin to push on the freedom that we have in Christ. And these things, they begin, to, they begin just to find influence. They begin to find power in our life where we should be free in Christ. These things begin to affect our day-to-day -day life more and more and more. You know, a great example for me is my health. You know, I started experiencing the chronic health issues nine, ten years ago. I remember going to the doctor and I just wanted him to fix it, right? You ever done that before? This is what's wrong, fix it. <laughs> and if you've ever been down that road before, that's usually not what happens, right? Instead of it being fixed, you spend thousands of dollars on tests and procedures, end up with very little answers and a whole lot of disappointment. And if I'm honest, for me, my health issues, and again, I'm just trying to be transparent here, my health issues became a huge roadblock. I couldn't get past it. You ever been there before, right? It just mentally, physically, somewhat spiritually, it stopped me in my tracks. And I really struggled. I didn't know how to move forward. And I began to allow my health or lack of health to define me where life became much more about what I couldn't do than what I could do, much more about the pain in my body than the joy in my heart. I found myself back in a place of captivity because I had allowed my circumstances to dictate my freedom instead of Jesus Christ. And I thank the Lord that he's allowed me to walk through this. And now this is personal testimony time, so this is not commentary on whatever you're going through. I can only speak for myself, but for me, I'm thankful because as I look back at my faith, as I look back at my walk, church, I needed to mature. I needed to mature. Again, it doesn't feel great saying that in front of everybody, but spiritually, I was still pretty immature where the hard things of life, the hard, and right, we know like the hard things of life, the hard things of life still had a tremendous power over me. Situations and circumstances would bring doubt into my mind. I was like what the Bible describes. I was that wave in the sea, right? Which was blown and tossed by the wind. And so I needed, God knew what I needed. I needed this journey that I've been on over the past decade. And in many ways, when I look back and I reflect, church, I had to start over with my faith. You ever been there before? Where you, you just got to start over, whatever you thought you knew, you just kind of got to wipe it clean, right? It was as if I had read the Bible or was reading the Bible for the first time. I had to uh, search the scriptures. I had to find out, who am I really in Christ? Like, what do I really have in Jesus? What does it even mean to be a Christian? And I'm learning. And I'm still learning. I still got a ways to go. But I've grown, church. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I have grown. I've grown, I've matured, I've learned how to walk in freedom, not pseudo-freedom, not false freedom. I have learned to walk in true freedom where the circumstances of life, even though they aren't going the way I want them to go, I am learning how to walk in the freedom that Christ and only Christ brings. You know the crazy part? Is I'm telling you, this week was just ridiculous. 
I mean, my body was kicking my rear all week long. It was one of the worst uh, weeks I've had in over a year. It wasn't an easy week. Didn't like it. But boy, did it give me an opportunity to practice what I preach. Right? It gave me an opportunity to remember the true freedom I have in Christ. And nothing and no one is going to take it away from me. There's not a chance. Not a chance. You know, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You know who said that? Jesus said that. He said, you know what? You're going to have trouble. Yay. No, he says, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. Dan, Danny boy, take heart. Lifespring Church, take heart because Jesus says, yes, you're going to have trouble. But he says, but I have overcome the world. You're free. I'm free. Lifespring, we are free. We're free. We're free. In Jesus Christ, we are free. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And for any of us who have allowed things or health or finances, relationships, careers, anything or anyone steal away the freedom that Christ paid for you on that cross, I think it's important that we pray for you today. I would love for you to allow me, allow someone next to you to pray for you, that you would leave here reminded of the freedom that you have in Christ. The freedom that you have in Jesus. And yes, he sets you free. And whom the sun sets free is free indeed. You once were a slave to sin. I mean, that's kind of a harsh reality, but it's the truth. You were dead in your sin. You were held captive to sin. But you've been bought with a price. I mean, just gaze upon the cross. Gaze upon what he has done for you. You've been bought with a price. The ransom has been paid. The debt has been paid. Because of Jesus, the veil has been torn. You have been reconciled back to your good, good Father. He sets the prisoners free. Now, it doesn't mean that life is all cupcakes and rainbows. Come on, right? There's challenges in life. In fact, read the New Testament. There's passage after passage that says you got to endure. It talks about you got to persevere. But with all of that, in mind of all of that, church, that we wouldn't forget, this great exchange means that we are no longer slaves. Just embrace that. Let the truth of God's Spirit speak that over you. We are no longer slaves. We've been set free. I want us to watch this short video and then I'll come up and we'll close. Amen. though. About two years ago, um, I had a really bad case of anxiety. 
and for almost an entire year without anybody knowing. I was worrying all the time, overanalyzing everything, and one time in the first period, I was freaking out about something, I don't remember what it was, but I had an anxiety attack and I, I passed out. And, um, and I just started to think if if this was how it's going to be for the rest of my life, if I was going to have to deal with this worrying all this time and passing out and panic attacks, then why, why waste my time with Jesus? Why waste my time being a part of something that's not going to help? It came to a point almost where I didn't know who I was anymore. Like I couldn't pinpoint who I was and I couldn't define myself. So after passing out so many times and, and being in that, I just broke down one night and, and thinking, you know, I, I didn't want this anymore. Just in the middle of the night, weeping and on my knees, you know, saying, Lord, who am I because of this? Um, because of my circumstance, who am I now? And I remember God telling me, um, just in the quiet of my heart, that no matter what I do, no matter what I go through, no matter circumstance, no matter health issue, that I'm not defined by what I do, I'm defined by what Jesus says um, I am. And I am loved by Him. And that's that's the definition of me. I told one of my youth leaders and we prayed about it. And after a couple weeks, um, I was healed from my anxiety. Not completely, I still I still get anxious from time to time, but I was healed from, from that constant worrying. As a teenage girl, we go through so many things that, that we think we're going through alone. And there are so many things that we're not just not sure of and so many situations that we're just not sure of. And we just try to deal with it ourselves. Seek help and seek prayer from people constantly because you never know when you're really going to need it. I feel like my testimony is something that constantly builds. And, um, and with each new story, you gain a new perspective. And what would life be without new stories and new adventures? Whether those adventures are, are bad or good, they still give you new thoughts and new ideas on, um, on how to love your life. So that's really important. Thank you, Kyla, for sharing your story with us. Amen. Well, would you bow your heads and let's pray to the Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you. You're so good. You're so good. Lord, life is so complex. There's so many things that make up one person's life. So many experiences that we feel like we can't even share with other people. But God, I pray that you would show each one of us how much you love us, but also just how much you know us. You know the inner workings of our minds and our hearts and our bodies. And that you did something amazing on that cross for us, not just for the simple us, but for the complex us, <laughs> for the mystery of the universe that exists within us, Lord, that you died on the cross to set us free to set us free, to set us free. And I, and I thank you for that, Jesus. And Lord, for anyone who's a Christian here who maybe has struggled from spiritual amnesia, so to speak, that today could be a moment, an opportunity to come back to you, Lord, and to experience your freedom once again. That maybe the lies of the enemy have begun to define us or our friends or our enemies and their words and actions have begun to define us or maybe our jobs or careers or different circumstances of life have begun to define us but right now in this moment Lord your spirit could speak your spirit and the freedom that comes by your spirit would speak and wash over this place and we would no longer be defined by circumstances or situations but we'd be defined by the blood of Jesus Christ that you would wash us clean once again Lord that we stand before you as sons and daughters 
sometimes in a vulnerability, sometimes in a frailty, often and most times in a weakness, Lord, but you would come by your Spirit and make us strong. You would come by your Spirit and make us whole. That you'd come by your Spirit and do what only your Spirit can do. Where we need healing, you would heal, Lord. Where we need to be uh, brought back together and restored, Lord, that you would restore. Where there's tearing, Lord, you would reconcile. Anything that we might need today, Lord, you would come in by your Spirit and by the power of your Spirit and come and set the captives free. Lord, I thank you because in this moment, this is more than us just talking about a historical figure. We're not just looking back at what someone did sometime, somewhere, in some place. But Lord, we are calling upon the living God. We are calling upon you, Jesus, the one who death could not hold down. We're calling upon the one who did not stay on that cross. The one who did not stay in that tomb. We're calling upon the living God. We're calling upon the resurrected Christ. The risen Lord. Jesus, do what you've always done. Which is to come in to preach and proclaim the good news of salvation. And to set the captives free. We receive that today, Lord. We receive that. And anyone, as I'm praying, anyone who has not called upon the name of the Lord, anyone who has yet to come to be a Christian, to believe in Jesus as the Son of God, to believe in His sacrifice. Again, even as we're praying, as we sing this next song, call on the name of the Lord. Scripture is clear. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Lord, we believe that as one, even one, calls on Your name today, You will deliver them. You will be the promised Messiah and rescue them. You will save them and you will bring them from death to life, from bondage to freedom. That's who you are. That's what you do. And it's in your wonderful and glorious name we pray. Amen.